Good morning, Bethel. Welcome to uh, our time around God's Word. Let's bow our hearts together as we approach the living Word of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment where we are able to unite together in worship and to hear from you. Your Word is living and active Oh God, would you speak to our hearts today? We desperately need to, and we want to hear from you. Would you do a work in our hearts to give us a sense of of confidence and, and faith to follow after you and to trust what your word says? In Jesus' name, amen. A number of years ago, my wife Natalie and I had the chance to go on a vacation down south. We arrived in the airport there and uh, went through customs, got our luggage, and made our way out into the parking lot, uh, the the parking and shuttle area. And and there was supposed to be a guy standing there with a, a sign with our names on it to be able to take us to our hotel, our resort. And, uh, and so we walk out into this crowd of people everywhere, and, and I looked, and I looked, and I looked to try and find this guy with, with our names on the sign to take us to the shuttle that I'd already, you know, aligned and paid for and everything like that, and nowhere to be found. And then all of a sudden, this very nice guy who was dressed up quite nicely approached me and said, hi, can I, can I help you? And I, I, I said, well, I'm, I'm looking for a shuttle. And, and so he asked me, well, what's, what's your name? And so I said, well, my name's Alan Self. And he looks down at his clipboard and he's like, oh yes, Mr. Self, yes, yes, come with me. I'll, I'll take you right to my shuttle. And, and so he begins to kind of walk us over through the crowd and over to where there is a whole bunch of shuttles. Now, something about this just didn't quite sit right inside of me. I mean, why didn't this guy have the sign with my name on it? What was going on? I was told that was what was going to happen. And so I started to kind of push him a little bit. I'm like, well, are you sure this is where we're supposed to be going? Oh, yeah, yes, sir. Yes, absolutely. And this is the shuttle to get to such and such, you know, hotel. Oh, yes, yes, sir. But I... But I thought you were supposed to have my name on on a sign. Like, I don't understand why you didn't have my name on a sign. And and so then he asked me, well, were you given a phone number to call if you needed to reach your your shuttle when you arrived? And so I pulled out my paperwork, and there was a phone number. I said, yeah, actually, I was. And so he reached out for me, well, let me call that for you, just to, to show you. And so he starts to dial a number into his phone that I thought was the number I was telling him. And he quickly says a couple things in Spanish and then passes the phone to me. And this man on the other line says, oh, hi, Mr. Self. Yes, this, this is your shuttle. I say, are you sure this is my shuttle? Oh, yeah. Yes, this is your shuttle. There's only one problem. Our normal shuttles, the reason why you didn't see the guy with the sign with your name on it is because our normal shuttles aren't running right now. But this guy's going to be able to take you to, your, um, to, your, to the hotel, to us here. Uh, but you're going to need to pay him for your trip. And I'm like, but I already paid for this. No, you, you pay him for your trip. You'll bring him to the front, to, to the hotel, and then get a receipt from him. Come to the front desk. My name's such and such. Give me the receipt and I'll reimburse you. And I'm like, I don't know about this. He's like, no, everything's fine. Everything's good. And so I did this. I got in the car. We got in the car. We got the shuttle. We paid him more money than you could ever imagine. He drives us all the way to the hotel. We get the receipt. We hop out of the car. We walk up to the front desk and I explain this story and I begin to get a utterly blank stare. 
Sir, um, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Well, well, I was told that I was to take this. He said, let me do a little bit of looking. Sir, I actually see that there's your driver still waiting at the airport. He's been there for two hours waiting for you. Did you not find him? Uh-oh. And, and, and I said, but he told me to pay him. Oh, and he would reimburse you. Well, no, we don't do that, sir. Well, he gave me this receipt. We don't do this, sir. Well, he told me I talked to this person. There's nobody here by that name. I'm really sorry, sir. There's nothing I can do, but you just got caught. Have, have you ever had an experience like that? And whether it turned out that way or not, where you have this sneaking suspicion in your gut, you start to just kind of wonder and wrestle, can I really trust this person that is in front of me right now? Uh, maybe it was on a trip overseas in a scenario like that, or maybe it was with a, a person at work or a neighbor as you're talking to them or, you know, whoever it might be where you're talking to this person and you start to ask questions like, I don't know if I can really believe you. I don't know if what you're saying is really true. I don't know if I can really trust what is in front of me in this moment. Sometimes we come to the Bible, and to church with that kind of suspicion. Sometimes we, we come, and whether it's because we've had somebody burn us in the past, or we hear the stories of the televangelist, or whatever it might be, you know, skepticism about religion, we come to the Bible, and we, we start to wonder, I don't really know if I can trust what's in front of me. I mean, I see clearly on the pages here in black and white what we're learning about and what it says. But is this really the real deal? Is this really trustworthy and true? Can I really commit myself to what I'm hearing and seeing? Today, we find ourselves in our last sermon, our last teaching uh, message in this first section of the book of Romans. Next week, we're going to have an amazing Sunday, super special Sunday. You're not going to want to miss this as we commission our um, church plant into Bethel Southwest, Southwest Middlesex. And then the week after that, we're going to take a little bit of a break and we're going to have some time through Christmas. In January, we're going to return and we're going to keep marching our way through the book of Romans. But today, we are in Romans chapter 4, and we're really wrestling with this question, this, this thought, this reflection. Can I really trust what is in front of me? Can I, we, we've spent a number of weeks journeying all the way through these first three chapters of Romans, this message that we're hearing from God through the Apostle Paul. Can I really trust what this says? I mean, we've never met this Paul guy before. That would be true even for the Romans here. They're getting this letter from this guy named Paul. We are 2,000 years removed. It, it has a whole bunch of stuff that starts to kind of push up against our hearts and the messages we hear all around us and the, the sentiments in the many ways of our day. Can I really trust what we've heard? Can I really believe what is in front of us on these pages? Can I really commit myself to what we see in front of us? And chapter four is like this bow that wraps up the first section of Romans 
asking and answering that very question. Can you trust all that we've heard so far in chapters 1 to 3? Romans 4 is wrapping this bow up to help us to see that, yes, we can and we must believe, trust, embrace, and commit to this truth that we see in front of us. Chapter 4 Verse 1 introduces us, and I should actually say it doesn't introduce us, it reminds us of this key figure in the history of our faith, this ancient guy that we all need to remember. His name was Abraham. Abraham is the, the father and the founder, the starting guy of our faith, you would say. You can read all about him. His whole life story is in the book of Genesis, very first book in the Bible. Chapters 11 to 23 trace along Abraham's life. And Paul here wants us to understand and have confidence in all that he has said so far in these first three chapters. And to give us, to bring us that confidence, he brings Abraham to the forefront. Verse 1 says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, if you're not sure whether you can believe what I've said so far, if you're not sure whether the message I've communicated and written down so far is trustworthy and true, if you're not sure if you can really commit yourself to this good news, this gospel that has been unpacked in these first three chapters, well, let's look at the father, the forefather of our faith. What did he have to say about all this ground that we've covered? If, in fact, Abraham, verse 2 says, was justified, that is, made right. Remember that word from last week that kept coming up over and over? If, in fact, Abraham was made right by works, by what he did, then he had something to boast about. But not before God. What does the scripture say? It says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. At this point in the letter, Paul has been bringing us on a journey, foundationally explaining his gospel message. That's what the first three chapters have really been. Him expounding and explaining the good news message that, that God has called him to share. That, that the world is made by God. God exists and he made the world to be like a giant train whistle that blares out for everybody all over town to hear so that you cannot miss the fact that God exists. And not only does the creation around us show us that God exists, it shows us what God is like, his nature, his character his desires. It's evident for all of us to see. But the world has gone off the tracks. The world has gone awry. And God has said, okay, if you want to store up, I'm telling you it's not the way to go. But if you want to go off the tracks, you can. And in so doing, you are storing up punishment for yourself. The world has gone off the tracks, every single one of us. The hyper irreligious and the hyper religious and everybody in between has gone awry. And as a result, sin has broken everything, everywhere, all of us, and the whole world. And we rightly will one day be held to account. Because God is right. God is just. And he will not let the evil in our world and even in our own hearts 
go without account. We can't make ourselves right. We can't make ourselves right. We can't fix ourselves. We can't heal ourselves. We can't change the brokenness in our world as much as we might try. We are hopeless and helpless on our own, but that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to be the one who would justify us, to make us right by taking the punishment for all of our wrongs. That's what chapters 1 to 3 say. That's the claim. That's the Paul's gospel message. And we come to ask, well, okay, that's what it says, but I don't know if I really buy it. I don't know if I can really believe that is true. How do I know with all the different messages out there and all the different things that people claim to say are good news, how do I know if I can really, maybe he's just made this all up. Maybe this is just his bright idea. Lots of people say lots of things. Is he just out to kind of get some more of my money? In recent years, here's one of the ways this uncertainty has played itself out. There's been groups that have started to call themselves red-letter Christians. I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase. It's based off of the fact that in some Bibles, you'll find that the, the words of Jesus, where you read them in the Bible, the actual like, words that are recorded that he said are printed in red. And there's some people who will say, well, I'm a red-letter Christian, meaning I, I listen to the words of Jesus, but I don't know about all the rest. Like, I don't know about Paul. I mean, I'll follow Jesus, but I'll, I don't know about Paul, as if they're at odds with one another. And can I really trust what God has here in front of us? And Paul is like, look, if I will show you how you and I can know that this, his message, chapters 1 to 3, is trustworthy and that it's worth committing yourself to. Verse 3 says, what does the scriptures say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's a quote directly from Genesis 15, 6. God, way, 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 way back when, actually spoke to Abraham and he made him this promise. Let me read a little bit of this account for us. After this, Genesis 15, 1, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O Lord, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son. Coming from your own body will be your heir. And then God took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can even count them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And verse 6, which is quoted in our text, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, the, the crazy thing about that whole story, it doesn't say it in that part, but if you go back and read Genesis chapter 12, you see that Abraham, called Abram, came to be called Abraham, 
at this moment, when God is having this conversation with Abraham, when God is making this promise, hey, 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 Abraham, I am going to bless your socks off. But God, how are you going to bless me possibly if I don't even have any kids? I am going to bless your socks off and you are going to have a son and you are, your heirs are going to be broader than all the stars in the sky. I'm going to bless you so immensely. But God, I don't even have a child. Here's the thing that's not included in that chapter. Abraham was 75 years old when this is happening. His wife is 65 years old at this point. God is saying to a 75-year-old man married to a 65-year-old, I'm going to bless your socks off. You are going to have a baby. Question, (laughs) how many people, show of hands at home through your TV screens, how many people have ever met a 75-year-old and 65-year-old couple who are pregnant? Ever met one? That's not a new revelation that that is crazy. This is nuts. Abraham, wow, this is unbelievable. Are you kidding me? 75 years old, having a baby? There's no way. Further to the point, to be an old, gray couple who has not had a child in Abraham's day, do you know what that meant? Do you know what that was understood to mean? That meant that God had turned his back upon you that God had had neglected and forgotten you, that God had rejected you because he has not given you a child. That's what Abraham and the people around him would have assumed this to mean. And into that, God comes, speaks to Abraham, who is 75 years old, and says, I am going to give you a son. I am going to do the mind-blowing, impossible, unthinkable thing for you. And not only are you going to have a son, but your heirs are going to become more than all the stars in all the sky. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God. He was made righteous when he believed God. These are the same two words we saw last week. Remember? Faith And to be made right. Connecting here again. Merging again in this text. And now into this, Paul throws a third word for us to bring into the fray. So we've got faith. We've got being made right. And now the third word Paul throws into the mix here is credited. Credited. It says in verse 4, Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. You go to work tomorrow... You work from nine to five, the end of the week when your boss is paying you a paycheck, do you write him a thank you card and say, oh, that was so kind of you to give me my paycheck? No, you don't do that. Why? Why don't you do that? Because when you work, you earn your money and it is an obligation of your boss to pay you. However, verse five says, to the man who does not work, but trust God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Faith is credited as righteousness. Being made right, catch this, remember this, is a gift. To be made right with God, the broken relationship that's happened because of our sin, 
to be made right in our own hearts and souls because sin has permeated and broken us. To be made right is a gift that is credited to us. Received how? Received how? By faith. This is what Paul has been going on and on and on about saying all the way so far. That's what Romans 1 to 3 has been building up. This argument that God credits righteousness makes us right by faith as a gift. You and I are not made right with God on our own. You and I cannot fix the problems and brokenness in our own hearts on our own. But God has offered a way to make us right. What's that way? By faith in Jesus. And Paul is like, we see this in Abraham. If you're trying to figure out whether you can really trust me and whether you think I've just made up this whole story and this is just my own concoction, he's saying, no, 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 this isn't me. You can see this very message going right back to the very beginning of all that is our faith. And not just, not just Abraham. Look at verse 6. David, that's the king David, fought Goliath, wrote a bunch of the Psalms, one of the other major colossal figures in, in the Jewish faith. David says the same thing. Verse 6 says, when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Paul says it's not just Abraham that says this. Look at David too. And he quotes Psalm 33. Psalm 33 verse 1 and 2. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Happy, blessed, honored are those men and women who are made right, whose sin is washed away, whose wrongs are forgiven, who will not have the Lord count their sin against them because God does not count it. He credits righteousness to them because they trust in God. David says the same gospel message as Paul. Abraham says the same gospel message as Paul. Is the blessedness only, verse 9 says, for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Who is this offer being made for? Is it just for the special nation of the people of God who are the Jews? Or is it for everybody? Under what circumstances, he asks then, was it credited? Was it after Abraham was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. When, when, follow the logic here, when did Abraham receive the blessing of God? Was it before he did these works like circumcision or after? It was before. Abraham was made right when he trusted God way before circumcision ever came onto the radar. And circumcision, this act of religious duty, only came out as a a response, a sign of the fact that he was already made right by faith in God. That's what verse 11 says. He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. He was made right 
before he ever got circumcised. Circumcision was the sign to show that Abraham had been made right. Now, why does he go into this whole circumcision, uncircumcision thing here again? Because the heart of the debate going on in the Roman church 2,000 years ago was this debate between the Jews and the Gentiles. Who is, who's got the right path to God? Who's got the leg up on the other? Is it the Jews who have the history and have the scriptures and, and have the sign of God blessing upon them through the circumcision? Is it the Gentiles who have now been, been brought in and have faith in Jesus Christ and don't need all of that other baggage and stuff like that? Who's got what? And they each look down on each other, but in both cases, it leads both of them to be like, I don't know if I really trust this Paul guy. I don't know if I really take his words seriously. I don't know if I can really believe what he's saying is true. How do I know if I can really count on the first three chapters here, this gospel of this guy named Paul? Can I really trust what he's saying? Now, my guess is, my guess is, in your life and in my life, we are probably not, you know, railing and struggling on this whole question of circumcision. That's not the, the tipping point that's making us struggle to know whether we can believe Paul's message is true or not. That may not be the heart of what we're trying to suss out to discern whether we trust Paul or not. We don't deal with that issue, but we still have that same struggle, don't we? And let me ask you, like, what is the reason for you, as you come to God's word here that we've been looking at these last number of weeks, what is the reason for you to why you're like, I don't know if I can really buy into this. I don't know if I can really believe this. I don't know if I can really go all in on all that we've just heard here. What is the reason for you? Is it, is it because, for example pushes back. What we've read in these first few chapters pushes back against the way that the world around us is saying, well, you should live this way. And it's going very much upstream in the opposite direction. It's like, I don't know if I can really buy into that. Is it because it, it paints all of us with this big, broad brushstroke we saw for three weeks in a row that, that we are sinners? And it's like, I don't, I don't know if I can really, like, man, like, you're really calling me out on this. I don't know if I really buy that. Is it because it, it sort of has you getting challenged that, that you can't make yourself right? And, and you try and try and try as you might, but it just is like, it's not going to work. And that's what the gospel message here is saying so clear. And you're like, no, I think I can make myself right. And it's pushing back. Is that why you're sort of struggling with it here? Is it, is it because you've had somebody in your life who, who said they bought into all this stuff, but their actions, the life they lived outside of, you know, 10 to 11 o'clock on Sunday morning was just a totally different life. And you're like, I don't know if I really buy into all this if they lived that way. Or maybe you're like, I do buy into this. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I, I go to church. I believe this. I mean, I'm watching this morning, right? I'm watching this service. And, and, and But let me dig into that a little bit more. Do, do you really buy into all that we have seen so far? I mean, do you really 
fully embrace and realize and recognize the, the depth of your sin that you saw unpacked and described in these first couple chapters? Does it really break your heart when you think about the sin going on in your own life? Does, has it really given you this sense of like, I can't believe how messed up I am? Does it, has it stirred up this sense of just absolute adoration and delight and praise for Jesus? Because if I'm that broken and you died for me, wow, I can't even imagine. And the tears just start streaming down your hearts and your soul is just stirred. Are, are you there? Or is it kind of like, yeah, I believe this, but eh. Which is really another way of saying, do you really believe this truly? Like you say it, but do you really believe this? Is it really piercing your heart and soul? When you look at your neighbor, your friend, your family member, your coworker, whoever it might be, and, and, and you interact with them, do, do you live like they need the message we've been hearing? Do you, do you really live like that? Do, do you really feel the weight of eternity at stake for them? Do, do you really earnestly want to in humility be like, you've got to come, not because I'm better than you, but I've come to see the hope. I'm one beggar leading another beggar to find bread for life. Do you have that kind of sense of earnestness for those that are around you that have not yet come to know Jesus Christ? Because if we really get the gospel message that's coming out of Romans 1, 2, and 3, these are the kind of things I know we can say we believe, but if our hearts are just numb, if our hearts are not broken over our sin, drawn to worship the Lord, not really looking at the people around us and seeing, man, they desperately need the hope that I have received too. If you're not feeling that, do you really believe it? Do you really buy in to all that we've seen? The gospel, the gospel that we have seen unpacked in Romans 1 through 3, it really is true. It really is trustworthy. It really does demand our everything of commitment to it. Our full buy-in. Our complete commitment. Because it is reliable and true. Verse 11, it says, So then he... Abraham, that is, is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that the righteous, righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised who are not only circumcised but who walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Abraham is the father of all. He's the first one, the forerunner for those who are circumcised, for those who have not been circumcised. He leads the way for all of us, and he shows everyone and anyone that this gospel message is trustworthy and true. It has stood the test of time. It has been the way that God has always worked and continues to work, and it is the message of hope that we need. Paul's like, don't you see this? Don't, don't you see faith? This is the solution that we all desperately need. This is the solution that God's been saying throughout all of history. This is the way he worked with Abraham at the very beginning. It has all the way down to here. Don't you see faith in Jesus? That's what saved Abraham. That's what will save you and I. 
Skip down to verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. He believed God. He believed God when he was 75 years old, but it was not just when he was 75 years old, because it's not like God made that promise, and then the next day his wife became pregnant, and just nine months later they had a baby. No, no, he kept believing because his 76th birthday rolled around and his wife still wasn't pregnant, and then his 77th, and then his 80th, and then his 85th, and then his 90th, and then his 95th. And for 25 years, he kept believing that God could do the impossible, that God was the God who would keep his promise. 25 years. Have you ever had something where you're praying for it and praying for it and you feel like, man, is God really answering? Can I really trust him? And we go like a week or two weeks or a month and we're like, man, God's not answering. Can you imagine 25 years of faithfully trusting God? 25 years God gave that promise to Abraham, kept him waiting, and Abraham kept believing. Verse 19, without weakening in his faith, Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was a hundred years old and his wife Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Abraham was fully persuaded. He was convinced. He was absolutely rock solid sure God could do the impossible. He was convinced that God could raise the dead. Did you catch that? He was as good as dead. His wife was as good as dead. His wife's womb was as good as dead. But he believed in the God who could raise the dead. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. And the words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. This whole story is not just about a guy who lived a bunch of centuries ago. This is the proof that all that we saw in chapters 1 through 3 is trustworthy. This is the evidence to show that all we saw in chapters 1 through 3, you can put your confidence on. This is the ultimate reference check to say you can take chapters 1 to 3 to the bank, friends. Because God is the God who kept his promise to Abraham and gave him a son at 100 years old. God did the impossible to raise the dead to give a 100-year-old and his 90-year-old wife a baby. And our God still rescues those who believe that God is the God who keeps his promise and raises the dead. Verse 24 finishes off, For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. This gospel message, 
is not new. This is the gospel message that has been carrying on throughout all of eternity. Paul did not make this up. This is, this is not Paul versus the red letter Christians. This is not Paul versus the people of his day. This is not Paul versus the Old Testament. This is not one way versus all of the other ways. This is the message that has gone through all of human history. Our God is the God who keeps his promises. Our God is the God who makes those who have become unrighteous right when they have faith in him who raised Jesus from the dead. God showed this is how he worked way back when, when he credited Abraham with righteousness and then raised his son from the dead. God worked way back when to have that account written down, telling us this is how we become right with God. Not by our works, not by how good we are, not by checking off the religious boxes, not by how much we fix ourselves up and clean ourselves up, not by any of these other things, but by faith in the God who raises the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead. Once again, showing God is able to do the impossible. God is the one who preserved the firsthand accounts of all of that so that we have it now in the Bible. Trustworthy and true accounts. And he sent the same God of Abraham and of David and of Jesus, sent the Apostle Paul to write down letters like what are in front of us here today with the same gospel message will you be fully persuaded to trust the god who keeps his promises by making you and i right if we put our faith in jesus friends are you struggling to fully trust this gospel message are, are you finding yourself like I'm half in, half out, on the fence, you know, one foot in the water, one foot on the beach? I don't really know if I'm going to commit. As you hear all that we have walked through, are you struggling with the fact that it pushes back against the lifestyle that maybe you've been living for a long time and I don't really know what to do with that? Are you struggling with the fact that it pushes back against the lifestyle of someone who is a loved one of yours and I don't really know what to do with that? Are you struggling to fully embrace this because it's going to mean changes in your life? Are you struggling to fully embrace this because it is, it is going to actually cause you to have to step out and think beyond yourselves? It's going to give you a different way of looking at yourself and the world around you? Are you struggling because someone has hurt you and wounded you and left this sour taste in your mouth and you're like, I don't really know if I can believe and buy into this. What I would say to you, dear friends, oh, this God, he is trustworthy. This God of the universe is true. He has shown himself to be trustworthy and true. This is not just the opinion of one guy here in Strathroy. This is not just the opinion of one guy named Paul who wrote a letter to the Roman church. This is not just the opinion of the one who was raised from the dead, Jesus Christ. This is not just the opinion of David who was a, a king in God's mighty work. This is not just the one who saw his son come to life after being a hundred years old and being given this son. This is the God of all the universe who has worked throughout all of history to help to show you and me 
I will make right those who put their faith in me. This is the trustworthy and true gospel. Will you commit yourself fully to this?